Uh, I remember the very, very, very vividly when I got my new name. Um, as many of you have no doubt heard, I was raised Catholic. Um, and part of the kind of process when you're a Catholic is, uh, is confirmation. It's the ritual of confirmation. Uh, in the Catholic Church, along with a couple other denominations, they uh, baptize infants. Um, they see this Old Testament pattern of circumcising baby boys at eight days old to kind of introduce them into the family of God as uh, a pattern to be followed. And then Paul kind of likens circumcision to baptism, and so they think that uh, just as you baptize babies or circumcise babies, you should baptize babies. Um, and uh, and so those denominations that baptize babies, they also believe, like most do, that there needs to be a, kind of an adult commitment to Christ. And so they put that in this ritual of confirmation. And so, you know, once you're old enough to do it for yourself, you're con- they, they call it confirming your baptism. And so some denominations dedicate babies. And then when you're old enough to know what you're doing, you get baptized. Others baptize babies. And when you're old enough to know what you're doing, they get confirmed. So um, really, it's both of them recognize the need to introduce our children into the community of faith as early as possible, but also to make a choice for yourself. And yet we still tend to like to split churches over the semantics of what words you use. Really, we're kind of doing the same thing. So, at 13 years of age, I was being confirmed into the faith, um, and I was terrified about it because of this truly frightening little nun who did our catechisms. Um, she was probably about five feet tall, weighed next to nothing, and uh, and uh, at the age of the ripe old age of 13, as I was, she looked like she was about 200 years old. Um, she was probably like 50, but she looked like she was 200 years old to me. And uh, and we were scared of her. She was like old school. And none of us in our catechism class were used to old school. Our parents talked about old school, you know, when we went to Catholic school, you know. But none of us were used to that, and we got used to it real quick. I mean, she was the real deal. And uh, so at the end of our class, we kind of gotten used to her. We kind of fallen into a, a, a rhythm with Sister Spooky. Um we had all kinds of funny names for her. I can't remember her real name, to be honest. Um, until the night before confirmation. And uh, she was explaining how the evening was going to play out. And she warned us that a real cardinal was going to come and do our confirmation, which I guess is a pretty big deal. And so she was like, if any of you do anything to disrupt this evening, I will pray that God sends you to the lowest pit of hell. And like she would see like the real threats on us if we uh, if we acted up. And, uh, and, and then she was like, and that will be nothing compared to what I will do to you. Um, and that, you didn't have to frighten me twice. Hell didn't sound like any fun at all. And I was quite sure this little nun could make hell look like a tea party. And so, um, even though I was usually kind of the class clown, I had determined in my heart that I was not going to do, um, anything disruptive on this important evening. And so kids from all around, like Kansas City and everything, came because it's a pretty big deal to get a cardinal to do your confirmation. And so the evening was long, and uh, it seemed like a great immeasurable company of kids had gone before me, and I was just waiting in line um, for like an hour. And this uh, this kind of million-year-old cardinal had a very predictable and replicable um, liturgy that he went through with each of the kids. He would say, what is your name, child? And, uh, and he would, you would tell the, the cardinal the name that you had chosen for yourself. So everybody had what they called a given name, which is what your parents named you, and then your Christian name, which is the name you chose for yourself based on uh, this person in the scripture or somebody that, or the saint that spoke to you. And so you would choose your own name. So you had a given name and a Christian name. And, 
And so the, the, the kid would say, uh, my name is such and such. And they, the cardinal would say, I confirm your baptism and pray that you be filled with the Holy Spirit in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And, uh, and then he'd move on to the next year. What is your name, child? He went over and over and over. Nothing had changed. Um, and, uh, and, t- and then it was my turn. So I step up in front of the cardinal and he says, what is your name, child? And I said, my name is Isaiah, Father. And where the rest of the liturgy was supposed to be, there was just silence. And he just looked at me. And I immediately look off stage for Sister Spooky, like, we're just so long in so much trouble. I have messed up the evening. Something has changed. And I was not supposed to do this. I didn't even try. And so for the first time ever, I'm trying to figure out if I can take an 85-pound woman in a straight fist fight. Like, because I'm pretty sure it's going to come to that. And uh, I'm shaking like a leaf. And finally the Cardinal says, after a long silence, goes, are you going into the ministry? And I said, no, Father, I don't believe so. And uh, he said, nobody chooses Isaiah for no reason. If you chose Isaiah, God has a plan for your life. And I stood there like, uh, and this is where the real conviction set in. Because I had chosen the name Isaiah for myself, uh, but I'm not sure the cardinal would be thrilled about why. My first motivation was this. Anybody remember Striper? (laughs) Does anybody remember Striper? Help me out. Okay. Yeah, and believe it or not, those are guys, just in case you thought the gender confusion thing was new. Um, And on every single album, they had a scripture. It was Isaiah 53, 5. By his stripes, we are healed. That's where the name Striper came from. And so Isaiah 53, 5 was on every album. I had every album, so Isaiah jumped out at me. So, so that, and the second reason was probably even less godly. It was this. Um, Isaiah Thomas was like my favorite basketball player. And what a cool name is that, Isaiah. So I'm standing there in front of a cardinal who's positive I want to be a monk or a priest because of a, a you know, a big hair rock band and, um, and a, a basketball player, a professional basketball player. And so, and I'm positive that this nun is going to kill me. And so, um, I, uh, I don't, I do not tell the cardinal why I chose my name and it had nothing to do with the ministry. But um, to complete the weirdness of the evening, when I got off stage, the nun ran up and crying and hugged me, which made it even <laughs> even weirder. And I chose not to tell her about the role that rock and roll and basketball had played in the evening. And so <laughs> I tell you this story because we're going to be talking about um, someone in the scripture today who went through one of those name changes. And the name change was uh, kind of impactful to him as well. Um, we're in uh, week five of our kingdom series. And I decided this week what we're doing next. I've been telling you that, um, you know, we planned this for seven weeks and uh, just to kind of fill the space between Easter and Pentecost. And uh, so I chose this outline that just happened to have seven things that every kingdom on the planet has. And, uh, and then I, you know, the longer I get into this, the more I realize we could talk about the kingdom of God forever. And so uh, we're most likely going to settle here for the summer. But I got to thinking, since we're stressing the things that, that uh, every single kingdom on the planet has and how those affect the kingdom of God, it would be probably appropriate to talk about the things that the kingdom of God has that no other kingdom on the planet has ever had. So the things that make the kingdom of God truly different and truly distinctive, um, I think it's important to do those next. I think that's what we're going to do next. And then, uh, because part of my plan was, uh, what we're talking about today is the rights and benefits of the kingdom. And as I was digging into that, I was like, I think that's just what we'll do for the rest of the summer because there are so many amazing rights and benefits of being in the kingdom of God that we could just fill a summer with that. I think we're going to get to that by the end of summer. But next we're going to talk about some of the things that are different and distinctive about the kingdom of God. Um, but however you slice it, we're going to be in the kingdom for a while. So, uh, so settle in. Um, we've talked about uh, how the kingdom has to have a king. 
a space to exist or land, um, subjects or a population, and rules and laws of some sort. If you've missed any of that, you can go on YouTube and find it. Um, it's all good stuff. And today we're adding the, the element of the rights and privileges of the kingdom. Because every kingdom ever has had kind of the privileges of being in that kingdom. Even like in medieval serfdom, where being a serf was like nothing. There was almost no rights or privileges to being a serf. Still, if the kingdom was attacked, you got to retreat behind the walls of the, of the prince. So there were still some, you had the rights of protection, they called it. There were still some privileges of being in that kingdom is that you got the protection of that kingdom if that kingdom was attacked. So every kingdom has had some kind of rights and privileges and God's kingdom is no different. Um, and so uh, uh, we'll, we'll, as we've been seeing throughout this kingdom, God's been taking us in some, some weird directions. Uh, I've, I don't think any single week I've talked what I, about what I thought I was going to talk about as I dove into it. Um, uh, but when I, when I dove into this, I felt like, uh, at least I knew where we were going next, which made me feel better. Um, but today, um, we're gonna be starting in Romans 12, uh, if, uh, and we're only gonna read two verses. Uh, don't get your hopes up, cause there's a lot more scripture coming. Um, I don't usually just read two verses up front, but, uh, but we're gonna, we're gonna make it to some more text, believe me. Um, so, uh, if you're following along in your own Bible or app, we're in Romans 12 too. Uh, if not, the words will be on the, the screen. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be living a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I love this passage of Scripture so much, um, and I'm really fighting the urge to like dive in and teach some of the richness of these verses, but what I'm really looking for is right here in the middle. It says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. The right and privilege of the kingdom of kingdom living um, that I want to look at this morning is, is the transformation um, that is given to subjects of the kingdom by our great king. Paul says that we will become brand new people by changing the way we think. How many of you know that the way you think affects the way you live, right? What you think about affects the way you live. Um, and what you, it affects what you do, and what you do um, affects who you are. Um, you don't become a prayer warrior if you never pray, right? If someone comes in and is like, man, I'm a prayer warrior. You're like, awesome. How often do you pray? Well, I don't pray, but I just feel like if I were to pray, I would really rock heaven. Like, you'd be like, well, that's not exactly how that works, right? You become, you, you become what you are, a prayer warrior, by doing something, by praying over and over and over again. The more you do it, the more you become it. But you don't pray unless you believe God hears and answers prayer. So what you think affects what you do. What you do affects who you are. So the more you believe that God hears and answers prayers, the more you will pray. And the more you will pray, the more you will become a prayer. The more you become a prayer warrior. So what you think affects what you do. What you do affects who you are. But here's the deal. This morning, I thought instead of teaching like the, the ins and outs and psychology and theology of a renewed mind, um, it would be more fun to look at a case study. So we're going to follow one person. Um, I thought it would be fun to just look at the maybe one of the greatest transformations um, in Scripture. Does that sound like fun? Uh, to follow this one person? Um, so we're going to start on the Sea of Galilee. And Opham, I don't think I said hello to you guys. Good morning, Opham. I'm sorry I missed you. I see you guys out. No, I said hello. Didn't I? I said hello. 
Yeah. Squall. Um, anyway, uh, I see you guys out there. Jump in and say amen every once in a while. Let me know you're, you're hearing me. Um, but uh, we're going to start on the Sea of Galilee. I'll be reading in the Gospel according to Luke uh, chapter 5, verse 1, um, if you're in your own Bible or app. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the Word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the, at the water's edge. For fishermen had let them had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, uh, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go outwards deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, O Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. And this is so good. Um, I'm so excited about the message God gave me this morning, uh, this passage. But um, uh, first, I love how Luke makes this sound random, right? He makes it sound like it's, he says, uh, uh, he, Jesus, noticed two empty boats on the edge of the water, <laughs> which is funny. So Jesus is basically pressed against the sea um, by this kind of growing crowd uh, that wants to hear him teach. Apparently, Jesus didn't have a live stream that he could just turn on. Hey, O-Fam. Um, but he, uh, but Luke makes it sound like Jesus is basically looking around, assesses the situation, calls an audible, and jumps in Simon's boat, right? Um, uh, and this is only crazy cool because Simon goes is the one we're following, and he goes through one of those name changes um, that every 13-year-old Catholic um, goes through, except instead of Chris becomes Isaiah because of a gender-bending rock band, Simon becomes Peter the Rock Johnson because, no wait, that's a different guy, um, because his, he needs a new name for his new mission. His name no longer fits what God has called him to, and so he needs a new name. Um, but the one thing that I have to point out as we dive into this is the fact that uh, there is no matter how random or coincidental Luke makes this sound, in God's kingdom there are no coincidences. Amen? Amen. Right. Jesus just happens to get pressed against the water um, where the fishermen had just happened to come in for the night and uh, Jesus just happens to need a boat and just happens to choose Peter's out of the two that were available um, and then he just happens to name the guy Rock that he's going to build his church upon. Uh, but... Jesus in the story, when Jesus in the story, chance and happenstance are canceled. Um, especially since Jesus does not need Peter or his boat. Right? There's something that I think we need to establish that Jesus does not need Peter here. Um, or his boat. Uh, now I know the crowd has kind of pressed him against the water. Um, and that people have actually demonstrated on the Sea of Galilee that if you get on a boat and go out of ways and talk back at the shore, the water acts as a natural amphitheater and you can actually, it actually projects your voice back at the sea and you can speak to more people by getting out in the water and using the water naturally. So everybody's proven that and it's kind of cool. And that's what most people will say. Jesus needed the boat so he could preach to more people, which makes sense, except it's just absolutely not true. You want me to prove it to you? I'll prove it to you. Matthew fourteen twenty five. 
Around 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came out of him walking on the water. Jesus does not need Peter's boat. And i got to tell you, that would have been a much more impressive sermon. If Jesus is like, the crowd's getting big, I'll just go out here and preach from out here. Dude, who doesn't get saved that day, right? So, so you cannot convince me Jesus needs Peter here. Jesus does not need Peter in any way, shape, or form, uh, is, which is what I love about this. This is huge. You cannot miss this. A lot of people don't want you, but they need you. Right? This is the nature of human relationships because we work out of a place of scarcity rather than abundance. And so we need people to fill our empty spaces. We need people to, to do what we can't do for ourselves. We need people. But God works from a place of abundance, not scarcity. Which is actually really beautiful because that means God does not need you. But the fact that He calls you means He wants you. He wants you. God wants you. And that's an amazing thing. As if God is playing this cosmic game of advance the kingdom and He's picking teams. And He's like, well, there's Chris, who brings absolutely nothing to the table that I don't have in droves already. But, man, I like Chris. Chris is cool. I dig Chris. Wouldn't it be cool if Chris was on the team? I'm going to I'm gonna pick Chris. For no reason other than He wants to. God doesn't need you. He wants you. He wants you. Weird you. Clumsy you. Sinful you. Stubborn you. Short-tempered you. Weak-willed you. God wants you. Which is awesome. So yeah, there are people who need you. Your family needs you. Your kids need you. Your loved ones need you. Your boss and your company need you. That's not a bad thing, but God wants you. And that's different. You're so special to God. He desires to be with you and, and gives you the privilege of walking with Him and serving with Him for no other reason than He wants to be with you. You never have to wonder if God just loves you for your boat. Like, I always assume Esther just loves me for my body. But, <laughs> but God wants to be with you. One time I was working in, the, in the, this apartment, I was doing floors, and the maintenance guys were supposed to come and pull the fridges and stoves and stuff so we could put down a new floor. And they didn't want us doing it because we might mess something up or we charged them for it, I think was the real thing. But, and so this maintenance guy comes out, and I've got Christian music playing, and he walks in, and he's like, hey, are you a Christian? I was like, yeah, as I am, are you? He's like, no, I want to be, but I've done a lot of bad things. And I was like, dude, slow pitch. And so I was like, well, that's exactly why Jesus came, for people who did bad things. And we talked about it. And, and he was like, so how would I become a Christian? I was like, oh, this is amazing. And so I led the guy to Christ. We prayed. And then there was, I kid you not, there was like a phone book. This is back, okay, millennials. Phone books were these things that, there's this phone book sitting on the counter. And he was like, so what do I do next? I was like, you find an awesome church. He was like, how do I do that? And I literally opened the phone book. Where do you live? Like, and I, we found a church and I called him and told him the dude was coming and he was all excited and he left and I was, I was freaked out. I was like, that was the easiest thing I've ever done. Now here's the deal. God did not need me to lead that guy to Jesus. He was such low hanging fruit. He was going to fall into the kingdom no matter what. God invited me to be a part of that. It wasn't like I was instrumental in this guy's salvation. That was for me. I, dude, that dude walked out and I was floating for like three weeks. Like that was something God did for me, not that guy. Anybody was going to lead that guy to Jesus. God allowed me to be a part of it. God just wants us to join him in the journey. And it's not a burden. So the thing that I love about this moment between Jesus and Simon is the fact that although Luke makes it sound random, if you keep in mind that Jesus can walk on water, um, this is not random. Uh, this is uh, this. You see Jesus controlling this very moment. 
And I believe Jesus um, leading the crowd to the sea is no coincidence. I believe Jesus choosing Simon's boat when he could have, he just easily chose the other one, is no coincidence. And I think Jesus leading Peter and his co-workers to the biggest catch of fish they've ever had is no coincidence. Um, speaking, by the way, if, if, you've, if you're not watching the, the chosen thing, you need to go find that. And that this fish scene is one of the most amazing scenes I've ever seen in any movie ever. You go go watch the chosen and watch the scene. It's pretty it's pretty cool. Um, but this catch of fish facilitates this amazing confession by Peter. It says, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus. And said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. Which is such a weird response to what just happened. Like you just had the biggest money catch you've ever had, and you're like, Get away! I'm sinful. Um, but I had some insight into this, I think, recently. Esther and I were invited to a pastor's retreat a couple weeks ago. A friend of mine invited me, and it was kind of weird. Um, but I was like, you know, we've known this guy for 30 years. We'll go. And I was expecting some funky sales pitch because it just came out of nowhere weird. Um, but it was actually an amazing uh, day. We had like an hour of worship. And it's been a long time since my wife and I have had nothing to do in a worship service. Like normally we're doing something here. And so... We were able just to stand and worship together, which is super cool. And then another pastor came up, spoke a, a little bit, um, just to encourage pastors. And then a guy came and started kind of one by one, just speaking into each pastor's life, which honestly, it, it was uh, uh, one of those things where he was speaking directly to him, but it had just enough vagueness that it, you felt like this guy could be a huckster who's just really good at reading people. You don't really know. Um, and I'm, I'm just being real with you. I was a little skeptical. Uh, and, uh, and then he got to the couple next to us. And Esther and I had known this couple next to us for probably 25 years. I know we don't like keep up really close. We, you know, we follow them on social media. We know what's going on in their lives, and we know them pretty well. And and uh, and just a few minutes ago, I watched this guy meet these two. So I knew that he didn't know them from Adam. He he, he got introduced and he met them. And and uh, and you know, I was standing there when he met them, so I knew he didn't know much about them. And uh, and then when he started speaking into their world, like. In, in a way that uh, I knew was right on because I know their context and I know he doesn't know that and he's speaking like directly into their into their like he's reading their mail right and I'll be 100% honest as soon as he started talking to them real low under my breath I said a cuss word because <laughs> I knew I was next I was like this dude's about to get in my business <laughs> and and he did. He came and he spoke right. He spoke something that God spoke to me five years ago, and he like he said it like it like it was what God had said. I was like, man, this dude was talking right at me. But I know I knew that feeling Peter had because I think Peter um, knows both logic and years of fishing. Neither one of those can contribute to how Jesus knew where those fish were. And I think Jesus was going, if he can see that, I don't even want him looking in me. I don't even want him to know what. If, I think G, Peter sees a similarity between that shimmery surface on the water and that false self he puts up, so nobody sees what's underneath. And he was like, "If Jesus can see through the water, he can probably see my soul." And Peter chooses confession. He's like, "God, don't even look. I'm a sinner. Just let's just establish that right now. Please leave. I'm a sinful man." And I love uh, Jesus' response. He says, "But Jesus replied to Simon, 'Don't be afraid.' For for now, from now, you'll be fishing for people. 
And then they left. I've always read this as a positive thing. Like, he's like, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And Jesus is, Peter's like, yay! But I read it this time and it was like different. It was, it almost sounded like Jesus was going, hey dude, maybe fish aren't your thing. Like, cause he just literally, he just literally proved himself like a million times better fisherman. And he's a carpenter and rabbi. Like, and he just proved like, I'm, I'm so much better at this than you are. Maybe fish isn't your thing. We'll try people. Let's try people. Like, maybe you'll be better at that. Um, and I don't have time to unpack every Peter story we're going to tell today. Uh, but, uh, but I want to touch on some of the ones that uh, we're going to move a little quickly through the rest of these. But this guy um, whose boat just happens to get picked um, on this random morning uh, becomes one of Jesus' closest followers. Right. And, uh, and this is the same Peter who sees Jesus walking on water, as we said, and he, Peter asks if he can do it, too. Um, and think about that for a minute, that moment that, you know, you're, you're floating around thinking, you know, yeah, he picked my boat. Yeah, Jesus, I'm the one that, I'm his chauffeur. I'm the one that drives. And then you see him walking on water. You're like, he does not need my boat. Who did I think I was? I think this is a big revelation. Like, why in the world did I think this guy needed my boat? Um, but, but Peter gets out of the boat and walks on water for a bit. And then he saw the waves and, and, uh, and he gets scared and starts to sink and cries out for Jesus' help. This is Peter. And this is the same Peter, um, this kind of headstrong, proud Peter, um, who refuses to allow Jesus to wash his feet until Jesus basically threatens him. We're going to read that one. It says, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replies, you don't understand what's happening right now, but someday you will. And no, Peter protests, you will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Peter exclaimed, then, then wash my hands and my head as well, um, Lord, not just my feet. Uh, and I love how Jesus tells Peter, you don't get it. I understand you don't get it, but you will. And I love how, how Jesus can always see more in Peter than Peter can see in Peter. Right? I love that. How Jesus is like, dude, you don't get it right now. You're not there yet, but you will. Give it time. Give it time. And the same Peter fell asleep on both the Mount of Transfiguration and in the garden when Jesus was praying so hard that he sweated blood. And I think maybe Peter is like my wife's patron saint because every time I pray or teach or do anything godly, my wife falls asleep. And so I think um, I think <laughs> uh, she read my message. She was like throwing me under the bus again. Yeah, you guys got to pray for her, y'all. She's she got. It. But uh, no, but this is the same Peter who, right as Jesus is like demonstrating the strength of surrender and displaying the power that he had gained, both by voicing. Like his true heart to his father when he said, God, if there's any other way that this cup can pass from me, let it happen. But not just that, that like authenticity of saying, I don't want to do this, but also the surrender of saying, not my will, but yours be done. Like that, that moment brought this power out of Jesus that he was able to stand in the garden and, and just surrender to, to what was happening. And Peter missed that so bad that he grabs the sword and cuts off a guy's ear. Which means Peter's not going at this defensively. You don't, you don't hit an ear unless you're swinging for a neck, right? So Peter is like going at it. He's going for the kill stroke, misses, cuts off the dude's ear, and, uh, and Jesus has to clean up Peter's mess by healing the guy right in front of Peter. And how much, how must that have felt when you're like so, your blood is hot enough that you swing at a guy's head, and then you've got to stand there under the rebuke of your master who's healing the guy you just... Try. Have you ever done something so stupid that you feel stupid even before you have a chance to cool down? Like, you're both like, no, you screwed up, but also want to keep fighting because your blood is up. Like, 
you haven't even had a chance to cool down yet and you already knew you blew it. Yeah, <laughs> like most of us that have a temper at all, you're like, while you're yelling, you're inside going, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, I think a lot of us have that. And this is the same Peter who not only gets a name change, but a really fun nickname. Watch this. It says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that he, it, it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he must suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He, uh, he would be killed and on the third day he would raise from the dead. And Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him saying uh, such things. Uh, Heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to him and said, get away from me, Satan. That's, oh God, I'm going backwards. Satan? Like that's... That's a terrible nickname. <laughs> Have you ever had that happen though? Have you ever been on like a great stretch and everything's going your way and you're living good and, and you feel like you're less Simon and you're more Peter. You're growing into this new name that God has given you and then all of a sudden it just falls apart. And you're like, I didn't just fall back to Simon. I'm like all the way back to get thee behind me, Satan. Like what happened? What happened in my life? I was here and now I fell all the way back here. And sometimes it can be something simple like that little straw that broke the camel's back, you know, and everything's going great. And then the next thing you know, you're, you're all the way back to get thee behind me, Satan. You're like, what happened? Peter would get that. Peter would say, dude, I know what that feels like. And, and it had to be confusing for Peter because this exact conversation, he thinks he's standing up for Jesus. He thinks he's doing the right thing. And Jesus is like, dude, you missed it. Because he was pushing his own agenda and not listening. Right? You can't say amen. At least say ouch. Um, but let me say this, logic is great until it goes against the Word of God. And then it's satanic. If Jesus says, this is the plan, telling him it makes no sense, telling him this is, this is not wisdom, this is not compassion, this is not generosity, that's satanic. And Jesus says that. He's like, you are pushing the agenda of Satan here. I love those moments when it gets real quiet. But none of these Peter stories sums up this guy's journey as uh, as a disciple of the rabbi uh, like uh, the one at the backyard fire pit. Um, so they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed from a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him at the fire pit and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers, but Peter denied it. Woman, I don't even know, I don't even know him. And after someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three, deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Can you imagine the anguish of Jesus turning and looking at you right in that moment? Like, I mean, imagine your worst moments. Or, or like, you're screaming at your spouse, you know, and you look over and Jesus is looking at you. Or you're, you're yelling at your kids or rush hour on I-35. That dude cuts you off and you give him the fun finger and you look over and Jesus is in the car next to you. Doesn't even have to be one of the big ones. You're like in the middle of a juicy piece of gossip and, and you look over and Jesus is looking right at you. 
right? Or you're staging that picture for Instagram where you put that devotional that you haven't read yet in the picture to make sure everybody sees it. And you look up and Jesus is looking at you. I've seen the hurt imprinted on human eyes of my sin. Like another sinner, when I do something and and I see the hurt that it causes them, I can't even dream of the look in in that perfect sinless eyes as I do something and I look up and they're looking back at me. And this is Peter. And And I don't read all these scriptures just to pick on the guy. I think we do that too often. Because this isn't the end of his story, is it? And this isn't, this isn't where Peter ends. He doesn't park here. One of my favorite verses is in 2 Peter. And, and every time I read it, this whole barrage of, of stories flashes through my head. I'm going to be reading 2 Peter chapter 1. Right before Peter tells his readers, hey, Jesus has told me I'm going to be dying soon. He knows he's at the end of his, his course. And he says this, In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now please, remember, this is old Peter. Okay, this is fully grown into his new name, Peter. This is mature Peter. But every time I read this, I think of where Peter started. Because Peter had faith, right? We know that. He, he got out of the boat and walked for a minute. He's the one who answered Jesus' big question in Mark 8. Who do you say that I am? Jesus is like, you're the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we know Peter had some faith. But Peter, when you read the rest of this list, you wonder who you're listening to. Peter's like, supplement that faith with a generous... Uh, provision of moral excellence. And you're like, moral excellence, Peter? Really? You're going to lecture me on moral excellence? The guy who said, get out of my boat, I'm a sinful man. You're the one talking about moral excellence. He goes in, and to moral excellence, add knowledge. Knowledge? Peter, the guy who Jesus was like, you don't know what's going on, but you will. Just wait. You don't know anything at this point, but you will. This is the same guy who was so out of tune with what Jesus was doing, he cut off the guy's ear in the garden. And he's going to lecture us on, on knowledge, on knowing what's happening. And to knowledge, self-control, and this one's just funny, because this is Peter, self-control. This is like me lecturing someone on punctuality. Like, Peter, come on. You're going to, you're going to write the scripture on self-control. The one who openly denied Jesus three times. And with self-control, paceful endurance, the guy who falls asleep every time Jesus tells him to praise, going to lecture us on endurance, right? The guy who prays like a sprinter, not a marathon runner. And to, to patient endurance, godliness, godliness, get thee behind me, Satan, godliness. And to godliness, brother affection, we're back at the ear thing, and to, and to, to brotherly affection, love for everybody. And I think I actually get this one. Because there's this conversation that Peter has this is kind of the key to this whole dichotomy between these two names, Simon and Peter. The young, impulsive Simon and the older, wiser Peter. And it reads like this, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. And take care of my sheep, Jesus said. The third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him a question the third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And we know this story well. And I think Jess and I talked. She may bring us back here next week. I'm not sure. But Jesus is reinstating Peter here to his calling. Peter denied Jesus and got caught doing it. And Jesus questions Peter once for each of the denials. And, he's, and, and, and when I was considering Peter's growth and maturity, I saw something in this passage I'd never seen before that stung a little bit. Look how Jesus refers to Peter in this entire passage. Simon, son of John. Can you imagine Jesus telling you that your name doesn't fit your calling? You're going to need a newer, bigger, stronger, more appropriate name like Rock. And then you blow it so big that He starts calling you by your old name again. Simon, son of John. And this is so important because even as Jesus is showing grace and reinstating Peter, He's being honest about Peter's sin. That Peter had blown it. Jesus does not cover up sin. He reveals it openly so that He can forgive it and restore. There is no grace where there is no recognition of sin. Grace never ever functions by saying sin doesn't matter. Grace says sin is heinous. It's truly awful. It's so terrible Jesus had to go to a bloody, brutal cross to deal with it. Our sin is horrendous and yet God loves us anyway because His grace is so big. Please don't ever cheapen grace by saying sin doesn't matter. Jesus refers to Peter as fallen, sinful Simon. Even as he's restoring him back to ministry and fellowship. Jesus doesn't sweep it under the rug. He calls it out and pays for it. And you know how I know he restores Peter? This is one of my favorite parts of this passage. After this conversation where, where Jesus is calling him Simon, whether or not Simon loves him, Jesus tells him that the way he's going to die, and, and uh, that's a whole other thing. And then, and then John, the one telling the story, adds this. Peter turned around and saw behind him the, 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 the disciple that Jesus loved. So this entire conversation, he's Simon. By the time John writes this down, he's grown fully into Peter. He's no longer that Simon that denied Jesus. He's grown into his new name. I think that's beautiful. And back in Second Peter, the apostle culminates this list of things that you need to add to your faith with love for everyone. And I think he got that right here on this beach. Because Jesus kept asking Peter if he loved him. Do you love me, Simon? And Peter would say, you know I do. And he would say, then love them. If you love me, you have to love them. Feed my sheep. Care for my sheep. Care for my lambs. And old Peter, wise Peter, got it. He said, add to your brotherly affection love for everyone. If you love Jesus, you will love people. Jesus said, if you love me, then go love them. My favorite part of, of the letters that we have of Peter is the way that it reveals this full and gorgeous journey that this guy traveled. His letters are full of such wisdom and maturity and strength of character You barely know they come from the loose canon from the Gospels. But that maturity was hard won. We have one more Peter story and then we'll wrap up. Simon, Simon. This is early in the story. Satan has asked you, or asked, uh, not early in the story, this is right after he 
denied him. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked you, asked to sift each of you like wheat. And you said no, right? <laughs> Jesus, right? Jesus? You said no, right? I've read and taught on this many times, um, but I saw something this time for the very first time that I've never thought of. These guys know the story of Job really, really well. These are Jewish kids who know the story of Job. Who knows how the story of Job starts? Satan and God are having a chat. And Satan is like, God's like, hey, did you notice Job? And Satan's like, yeah, but I could sift him. So when Jesus says, hey, just so you know, Satan is asking if he can sift you. You know, Peter's like, why do we keep letting this guy in the door? Come on! I know where this goes. I've read this story. I recently heard a Christian comedian talking about Job's wife, which I thought was awesome. You know how bad of a wife you have to be that while Satan is taking everything, he goes, no, leave her. Yeah, I think... I know what I'm doing. Just Take the kids, take the land, take the animals, beat him up, leave her though. Yeah, you got to be a pretty bad wife to get that one. But how does Jesus back up this awful news that, that God and Satan are having another one of those conversations? But I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. And when you have repented, because I know where this is going, turn again and strengthen your brothers. Sifting is the process of removing the unusable, indigestible part of the plant from the part that can be used. It's removing the Peter from the Simon. And Jesus knows that Peter needs it. So he prays for his faith instead of his deliverance. We started this journey off with Paul in Romans saying, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. This is, this is Peter's story. The word transformed in the Greek is metamorpho, where we get the word metamorphosis from. It's not a copy. It's not a cookie cutter. It's a messy, fragile struggle. Often in dark and vulnerable places. But the Peter that emerges looks nothing like the Simon that got wrapped in the cocoon. And this is what Paul is inviting us into. So how do we respond to this? We're talking about the rights and privileges of living in the kingdom of God. And the greatest privilege of living in the kingdom is a new you. You don't have to be stuck where you are. Maybe the worst lie our culture is, is selling right now is that you're okay just as you are. You do you. You're perfect. The truth is, truth is, you are deeply loved just as you are. But you were not meant to be a caterpillar. You were meant to fly. You were meant to for faith and holiness and knowledge and self-control and patience and godliness and love. I have two grandbabies and uh, that are about the same. I have more of the grandbabies than that. The other ones are only two grandbabies, babies. And baby talk is the cutest thing on the planet. Like their little voices. Oh my God. So adorable. You know what's not cute? Is a grown man walking around talking like a baby. That's creepy. That's just creepy. And so many people are walking around gooing and guying and spouting baby talk. And I believe underneath all of that is this deep fear that this may be all there is. 
But it's not. God has so much more for us. My main message for today is that, is that you aren't done. God isn't done with you. If you're Simon in the boat trying to get rid of Jesus because He just keeps revealing your sinfulness, He is not done with you. There's so much more. If you're clumsy Peter who's always talking when you should be listening and you're getting rebuked all the time because of your zeal, He's not done with you. If you're hot-headed Simon trying really hard to follow Jesus if it wasn't for all the stupid people in the world, He's not done with you. If you're Peter standing in the winds and the waves, crying out for help, wondering why in the world you got out of the boat in the first place, he's not done with you. Peter, after seeing the resurrected Jesus, after being restored on the beach, after preaching on Pentecost and seeing 3,000 people get saved, after uh, having an angel stage a jailbreak for him, in one moment, the Holy Spirit tells him to, to, to go preach to some new people and Peter shows a deep racism that he still had that the Holy Spirit was trying to reveal to him no longer applied. And he had to grow more. I don't care if you come in this morning and you've been walking with God for a long, long, long time. God is not done with you. You never reach a point where He's done growing you. He says, I'm certain that God who began a good work in you will continue His work until it's finally finished on the day of Jesus Christ's return. That's what we're invited to. So the way I want to close, I just want to pray for a bit. As our worship team comes up, I don't know if they can even hear me out there. Oh yeah, they're moving. I just want to pray. Because I've covered a lot of ground today. And I just want to invite the Holy Spirit for a minute to maybe highlight to you uh, what, which, which piece was for you. Because i got to be honest, I, I resonate with Peter a lot. There's a lot of me that, that, that when I go through Peter's story, I see myself. And so what I want to do is just give the Holy Spirit a minute as we pray to maybe bring up what's yours. Which piece of that was for me, God? What do you need me to hear this morning, God? Because for me... If these are my words, they don't do anything. You need the Holy Spirit to come speak something to your heart that says that one was for you. That's what you need to hear.